0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia.
1: On this week's episode, we have Lachlan,
0: hi, and Justin.
1: This week, we find about some new and mysterious creatures that have been found lurking in the deepest, darkest depths of our planet. We figure out just how they taxonomize them and fit them into the big picture of life on Earth. We also go through some new and exciting ways to fight cancer with everything from sonic beams to amazing gold-plated nanotech.
0: And now we launch into our launchpad news segment.
1: So we think about the, the definition of species and animals in our universe and the world that we're exposed to. As something is static, right? We, we know evolution happens, and that's a gradual process of things changing. But, you know, we generally think we've got a good handle on things. We know there's cats, we know there's dogs, we know there's trees, and we know there's lots of different types of all of those. But you'll be fascinated to know that actually taxonomists actually regularly gather together to decide and range and name and organise new species that have been discovered in the, in the recent year. And they've just gone through this process, and people have put out the top 10 new species of 2014 that have been recently discovered, categorized and agreed upon. And obviously you're gonna gonna really wonder why we've gone through the process of naming these new species, but some of them are actually really fascinating. So to kick it off, let's look at one I think probably has the best name for any new species that has ever been discovered. And that is of course, the Kawisak dragon tree. Now, the Cavisac dragon tree is a huge, beautiful 12 meter tall tree that you really have to wonder how people did not notice this
0: beforehand. The thing is, Justin, like, we think we have a pretty good handle on life and we know what it is and all the species that make it up. But every year we actually discover so many new species just in our backyard. It's not actually that surprising that a tree could escape. Well, so George R. Armada looked outside in his backyard and found the Cavisac dragon tree. Well, actually, I think its name means Mother of Dragons. That's the most palisi tree I've ever heard of. That clearly is. And it's from Thailand, so not actually, you know, George R.
1: R. Martin involved here. But what I love about this tree is it's got beautiful, soft, sword-shaped leaves with white edges and cream-coloured flowers with, you know, bright orange, you know, filaments in the flowers. And, you know, it looks quite dragon like quite intimidating. And it's found in the limestone mountains of Lop-beauty provinces in Thailand, so very remote near Burma, up in the mountains there. And quite a beautiful um, place. Now it's used often as a horticultural plant and there's only about 2,500 of them out there in, exam- in, the, in the world. And it grows on limestone, right? So so they, they, they extract limestone out to manufacture concrete and, and this plant, you know, sucks out the limestone in a similar way. It's and as you, tough as concrete. It, it is a dragon plant that is as tough as concrete. And I feel that is a clearly a worthy inclusion in the, the list of new species. So going from dragons to another mainstay of horror and fantasy, and that's the skeleton. And we'll look at the skeleton shrimp um, by the name of Laropus minusculus from California. Now, this is not some Hollywood heartthrob shrimp cocktail. This is actually a shrimp that lives inside the deep's caves. And, um, you know, it lives in the romantic, beautiful, sunny island of Santa Catalina in Southern California. Deep inside the caves on that island, live this shrimp. And, and the reason why it's called a skeleton shrimp is that its whole body is translucent in appearance. And all that you can see inside of it is its bone structure that runs through it. Now, it's only very short. It's only about three millimeters in length. So it wouldn't make a very good meal. No, it's obviously not very you know, appetizing. But... The, the way that the body is trans, translucent means you can actually see the skeleton and the inner, inner workings of the shrimp really, really clearly. Not kind of in an opaque way as some other shrimps, but actually like incredibly translucent. So I think that is very much worthy of the name, skeleton shrimp. And it's quite, quite eerie. So the next one is also from um, from the, the tropical, not the tropical climates, but the warm, lovely, sunny climates in the Mediterranean. And it's a bodybuilder from the me- Mediterranean, the Spicaeoclosophon, Oceana and, or, you know, it's a single-celled organism. So an amoeba, which you all think about, is a single-celled organism. And unlike most single-celled organisms, which are very, very small and straightforward and simple, normally in the micrometre micrometer range, right, this is up to five centimetres long, making it absolutely massive when you
0: think about single-celled organisms. And it's crazy. Now, because bacteria are single-celled organisms as well. So it's yeah, the same that, sort of taxonomy but you can see it with the naked eye. Yeah, it's huge. And actually, it's even more interesting than that, because this group of
1: amoeboids, they're actually they, they they grow together and they arrange themselves like Lego blocks to construct a massive shell of an even bigger pseudopod. <laughs> and, and and it actually feeds on other creatures much in the way like a carnivorous
0: sponge. And it, it looks true. it looks absolutely terrifying. And this isn't the only example of um, single-celled organisms working together in a colony or a sort of hive mind. Um, bacteria often do this. But um, I remember reading, um, I think they, were, they found a cave in Brazil. Um, there was a cube, like a gelatinous cube, and they didn't know how to characterize it. Is it a new animal? No, it was actually a clump of bacteria that has been growing for so long, it made its own three-dimensional structure. It had been growing for thousands of years, the same bacterial colony. It made a solid... Three dimensional mass.
1: So clearly, Dungeons and Dragons was right all along. The gelatinous cube. Yes, comes to attack us all. Yeah. So roll, roll your d4s for your magic missile. Um. <laughs> so what's even more fascinating about it? The place where they discovered this in Spain, the caves, they actually looked for this, this, uh, um, this giant amoeba. Um. There also was a place where they found carnivorous sponges. So when you think about SpongeBob SquarePants, you think that the nice little harmless sea creature. But, you know, there are brands of them out there that are actually carnivorous, that eat other sponges. So I just felt like making you aware of that, that, that that was a fact of life. So last but not least is something that is very closely related to NASA, unfortunately, and it might be an alien invader, and that is the Aeteriosococcus phoenicis. So
0: these are known as the clean root microbes. So when you go to space, Justin, you don't want to have any bacteria in the spaceship or on the space suits that could go to other planets and then colonise them.
1: And expose them and, and, or basically kill
0: kill off things. So what we're actually trying to do is prevent alien invaders from going out there into space. We don't want to be or alien, alien invaders. In right. And so to make this happen, um, when you're actually building spaceships and stuff like that, everything needs to be done in a completely sterile environment called a clean room. Yep. Um, and so to make this sterile, you heat it to like hundreds of degrees Celsius. You give it the strongest acids and the strongest bases, you throw heaps of salt at it, UV radiation, you do everything you can to completely kill any trace of bacteria. Right. And then some survive.
1: Well, of course, because bacteria, especially extreme I-5 bacterias, are incredibly hard to
0: kill. So these were these clean, room bacteria. So basically, through some freak of evolution. Because extremophiles um, are bacteria that can survive really, really strong conditions. Like, we have bacteria that can survive inactive volcanoes.
1: Hmm.
0: But the reason why we have so many different ways to disinfect things is because no bacteria could possibly be resistant to all these different methods of stress. Hmm. But yet we found that after all these disinfection methods these clean room microbes can actually survive. And more impressively that they actually were found in two separate clean
1: rooms 2,500 miles apart in Florida and French Guinea, which is incredible a testament to this bacteria's strength and evasion abilities. So if they're going to invade space I think they're probably going to do quite well. So those are just some of the new creatures that have been taxonomized and qualified in the wonderful world of animals and plants that we have listed here on earth. So using dogs to help detect cancer with their sense of smell is a fantastic and novel approach to understanding the way um, cancer impacts humans' lives and helping treat it. What other novel cancer research is out there that we, we, we
0: have been looking at? Okay, so there's been a lot of um, experimental chemistry over the last 20 years that has really opened the potential for really, really interesting new methods to treat cancer. So normally when we treat cancer, we either need to surgically remove them or we use a mixture of chemotherapy and radiotherapy to um, kill the infected cells and try and kill off the tumour as a whole. Right, so the way chemotherapy
1: works is by stopping the cancer by basically killing all the cells in the area. Um, all the cancer cells and all the other cells, um, and hopefully that no cancer
0: survives. That's right. And of course, like, so these these methods where you're killing off the body's own cells, it creates a lot of toxicity because you're damaging the body.
1: It also weakens the body substantially.
0: Yes. And so it's, it's quite, it's very, very draining on, on um, the patients and, and it takes a long time. And so we're trying to find new, innovative ways to um, more effectively and quickly treat these cancers. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, one of the best ways we have, or one of the best um, new innovations we have, are monoclonal antibodies. Okay. So this is stemming from immunological research where antibodies are basically the things your body secretes to fight bacteria.
1: Okay, right. So our body has a lot of different responses to problems in it, and, and antibodies are what's produced by the immune system to fight um, invaders, such as bacteria.
0: That's right. They're basically... Um, Soluble, um, so they're, they're very specific. So every single bacteria that you'll ever come in contact with has its own special antibody. And then once your immune system recognises that bacteria, um, they'll amplify the antibodies specific for that threat. They'll make a lot of them, and they'll very, very specifically target that one threat. So um, these molecules are really, really, really specific in that they'll only target and kill one thing. Okay, well, that, so that's, that's really useful, especially in fighting cancer. That's right. So we've actually found special markers um, that are found in normal body cells, but are upregulated in cancer cells. So cancer cells express unusual amounts of certain receptors. Right. So
1: if you want to think about it another way, um, all things might have uh, hair, right? But these cancer cells actually have crazy mohawk. Or yes, crazy exactly.
0: Mohawk. And yeah, so so um, we can actually send these. We can artificially create our own antibodies, monoclonal antibodies, so these antibodies for this one specific thing, and then attack that cancer. Right. And that's a pretty good start. Yes, Yeah. obviously. obviously. But what scientists have actually found is if we attach one of these antibodies to a cancer drug, it actually becomes like a homing missile against this cancer with a huge payload or bomb behind it. Okay, wow, that's that's phenomenal. So, what kind of cancer drugs do we have out there at the moment, and how can we help, help train them and get them to be better in their accuracy? Um, so, most drugs at the moment are pretty rudimentary. Yep. Um, they are designed to recognise when cells are proliferating, when they're splitting really quickly. Yep. Which is a um, symptom of cancer. Yes. And so, basically, anytime they see. Um, things spreading too quickly, a fast growth of cells. Yep. So that they
1: basically target that. They explode the whole thing. Oh, Okay, yes. okay right. Yeah. So just... it's it's a bit like a, it's a bit like a um, like one of those infrared sensors that you have in uh, in security system. If it detects movement, it goes off and it explodes everything with a bomb.
0: That's right. Exactly. Um, but what this antibody allows us to do is um to have a lot more directed um targeting of the of the drug, so it can go straight to the side of the cancer only and only affect cancer cells now that's 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 phenomenal because it's actually going from having a shotgun
1: or a bomb to having a sniper rifle really to actually take out the specific cancer cells
0: that's right also with a heat-seeking missile attached just to yeah. make it so gratuitous. you know the magic magic turning bullets that they have you know
1: In, in wanted yeah
0: exactly yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of laser guns and stuff though um, some other advances we've had on radiotherapy which normally it's pretty useful if you have a big cancer but Radiation causes cancer, right? So it's a double-edged sword. Yes, and normally you get quite sick from using it. But um, what they've actually found um is that ultrasonic radiation mm-hmm. is super good at basically shaking cancer cells apart. Right, because it runs really, really fast around them and it collects all the rings.
1: I'm assuming that's what ultrasonic, <laughs> ultrasonic radiation, being does.
0: more powerful than supersonic. Yes. No. So ultrasonic is basically like so, so. sound is is air vibrations. Yes. But ultrasonic, is like um. It's a part of the electromagnetic
1: spectrum.
0: No. Ultrasonic is the oh, sorry, sound. So
1: ultrasonic is sound. Yes, that's correct.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's sound that's vibrating. It's beyond air the range of so far. You don't really notice it. It actually responds as heat. So right. it's actually a really really smart way to um, target cancer cells, heat them up. And we actually found that cancer cells die more quickly. Um, so we can heat up cancer cells and they'll die and your body's normal cells won't die. Wow. Okay. So they're more susceptible to heat. They, they take double damage against heat, basically.
1: Right, and that's really useful if you can apply heat specifically to those areas. Another benefit of ultrasonic is that it's actually very, na- very narrow in wavelength. So instead of, again, doing a shotgun spray that you would do with other, other
0: therapies, you can have it very targeted in a narrow fashion enabling you to really get at specific locations. Exactly, and um, we can actually combine these two techniques um, using gold nanoparticle technology. Right now, because now you're just spewing fancy sounding words. <laughs> well, they're cool, fancy sounding
1: words. So There's also... ultrasonic now. Gold nanoparticle technology.
0: So basically, what this is, Justin,
1: is gold um, rings for sonic. The yes, ultrasonic for sonic to, to collect.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, so you tag one of these homing antibodies to the cancer and attach gold nanoparticles. So really, really, really tiny gold particles to the other side. Right, okay. And
1: it's like tagging the targets. That's right. So if you have, if you have a smart bomb, um, what they'll actually have is often a spotter on the ground will be directing the bomb with a laser Who will be giving the location for it to go. Much the same way that a targeter um, for a sniper may use a laser, a laser rangefinder to actually indicate the target that they need to hit. This is doing the same thing by give, using the gold nanoparticles to identify
0: which cells to hit. Exactly. In fact they even also use infrared radiation just like the snipers would.
1: Right, so it's um, I actually understood that completely. Yes. Okay, well that was that was, that was
0: surprising. So yeah the infrared radiation um makes the gold particles vibrate really, really hard and they'll actually shake apart any tumors for the bodies to deal with itself. Wow, well, that's that is some really
1: powerful and interesting ways to handle and approach cancer. This has been the Young Scientists
0: of Australia's podcast, The Great Point.
1: This week we met the newest creatures in the wonderful taxonomy of the world, including some really strange and unusual things, from crazy trees to gelatinous cubes. We also found out about some new interesting ways to fight cancer, including gold-plated nanoparticles and sonic rings.
0: Our ending theme was composed by Audio analytics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.